prayer is not a something that I'm really strong at. I don't consider myself like a really strong prayer warrior. You know, we've been studying in our home groups um, the topic of prayer, and so when we look at all these characters that are praying in the Bible, I'm like, man, I'm nowhere near like Nehemiah is crying and weeping, fasting for his nation. I hear about something in the news, and there's no tears. Um, but but secondly, I am deeply humbled in your presence, um, knowing that I've witnessed you all as prayer warriors. Uh, I will never forget my very first month coming into Crossway uh, in September. I remember my phone was just blowing up. There was a ton of emails just going on, and I've never received so many emails in my life. Um, but this email wasn't for me. It was you guys praying for Bo and Cindy. And uh, me and Minha, we were just like literally amazed when we opened up our email, seeing our whole church unified in prayer. And so I am humbled and almost like, man, what can I share to you guys that you don't already know? It seems like you guys get the idea of, of prayer and uh, you guys are living it out. You've experienced it. You guys definitely see the power in prayer. Um, and so... Uh, for that reason, I'm, I'm honestly a little nervous and obviously just uh, standing before you and God just to preach this message. And so, um, so today, I don't think mainly um, I'm teaching anything new, but rather serving as an encouragement and a reminder of why prayer is so important. And again, I think we all know this. We all know why it's important. We all know what prayer is, but why is it so important? I just want to remind us through scripture today. Um, today we're going to be uh, going through Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. Uh, I just want to just go through like an exposition of this passage. Uh, but just to kind of, you know, go through the flow of this, to keep track of uh, where I'm leading our points in. Um, the first verse we're going to look at is verse 35. And it's really cool. It's a background summary of chapters 5 to 9. And then secondly, we're going to look at why do we need to pray? The reasons for prayer. Um, there's going to be three things that I think God points out, uh, Jesus points out in this passage in terms of why we should pray. Um, thirdly, how we're to pray. Um, I think we definitely should be guided in our prayer life um, in terms of what we should be praying about. And Jesus definitely unpacks three things in verse 38. And then lastly, the results. So what is ultimately the results of prayer? What is the fruit of prayer? And what does that lead into? Uh, and of course, we're going to Think about some applications, but obviously, you can probably almost assume what the application will be. The application will be pray. So, um, but I, I will expand upon that in terms of what we can pray about specifically and what we can act, actively do as a crossway church. Okay, um, I've chosen Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-five to thirty-eight. You know, I, I was reading this book, "Let the Nations Be Glad," and um, it's heavy stuff. I mean, when I was reading through this, I was like almost overwhelmed with scripture. I was like, man, John Piper is no joke. He, uh, he just throws scripture left and right. Um, and I just felt like this passage here in chapter 9 really encompasses the idea of missions and why prayer is so important. Okay? So um, we're going to go through verse by verse, um, going through all of these points uh, again um, in this passage. Okay? So first, uh, verse 35. Again, like I said, this is the background summary that I think of. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 9. This is what verse 35 says. And Jesus went through all the cities 
and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Um, seriously, when you read this verse, this is like a one-sentence summary of chapters 5 through 9. If you want to get a background of what was happening, literally chapters 5 through 7, if you read it, if you have a red-letter Bible, it's literally Jesus' teaching. He's going around teaching, preaching, uh, just proclaiming uh, about the kingdom is coming near. Uh, it's, it's all of his teachings. And so it's kind of cool in verse 35, the first half. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the gospel. That's chapter 5 through 7. And the chapters 8 through 9 is really Jesus doing a bunch of works, miracles. He's single-handedly doing ministry himself. Uh, people are crowding around him. He's, he's doing tons of uh, miracles and healing people. And that's exactly what the second half of this verse is. And so what we see up to this point is Jesus, Jesus single-handedly has been doing ministry by himself. While the disciples, they're, they're watching but they're not being an active participant in what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is doing all the healing. He's doing all the preaching. He's doing all the teaching. Disciples are just observing and following Jesus every point of this time. And so things are about to change, though, in the next couple of verses in the next chapter. So why do we need to pray? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 36 to 37, he says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them uh, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When I read these verses, the first thing that I see in terms of why we need to pray is Jesus points out that these crowds, these people that were following him, he didn't see them as followers. He didn't see them as faithful uh, you know, people that are saved by faith. We need to pray because there's so many people that are lost in this world. And Jesus immediately recognizes that. Without Jesus, people are starving. They're lost. They're helpless. And this verse says, and Jesus describes them as they're harassed. They're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know what's sad about this picture and this chapter in this little scene right here there's tons of people following jesus right there's tons left and right crowds are the news is spreading about jesus yo you gotta hear about this man jesus uh this guy uh, you got that sick cousin bring him out hey you gotta bring your mom she's she's disabled right hey jesus can heal her come follow her uh, come follow him and and news is spreading and there's throngs of people crowding around jesus everywhere he's going traveling People are just dedicating their time and their energy to follow Jesus. But Jesus recognizes them, not as faithful and obedient followers, but conditional followers. We see this later on. Many of these people that are following him, they turn away from Jesus. You see, they haven't committed to him. They're following him for maybe personal gain. Now, I don't know what, how you guys think about this description but to be honest my first image of many non-believers is not this description that describes uh these non-believers that jesus talks about i know mentally they're lost but to be honest it's hard for me to say oh they're harassed or they're like sheep without a shepherd um i love sharing this story i share this all the time with 
uh, the youth students about my experience in college and sharing the gospel to many college students. Um, there was this one time where I was sharing the gospel to this college student, and so he was eating his lunch, and I said, hey, do you mind if I share my faith? He said, sure. And this guy was literally eating like a teriyaki chicken bowl, and I kid you not, this guy ate the entire bowl, okay? I'm not talking about just the teriyaki chicken and the rice. He literally ate the whole styrofoam bowl. Like, literally, I, I was, like, deeply shocked. I was like, okay, he's going to spit that out. No, he swallowed it. Oh, wait. And so, as I'm sharing, I'm like, so Jesus. And I, 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 could, not, I could not speak anymore. I was like, oh, hey, uh, you, hey, are you okay? And I, I literally started, I, I literally feared for my life. I was like, this guy is seriously crazy. And I kid you not, what came out of his mouth scared me even more. You know what he said to me? He said, would you still believe in Jesus Christ if I tracked down your home address and I killed your parents right in front of your eyes? I was like, this guy, I had 911, where's my phone? This guy's the next, you know, criminal or whatever. And I was like, this guy, and he had a stone cold face. I kid you, I was so scared. And honestly, I was actually kind of pissed. I did not, I knew he was lost. I felt harassed. I was like, he's not harassed. This guy's not a a sheep. This guy's a wolf. This guy, no. But how does God see them? God sees them as harassed, as lost, like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm deeply convicted as I was reading this passage that we too, we need to pray for the lost because that's what God sees in this world. They're lost. How many of us have this image of others? That's how God sees them. So people are not saved. They need the gospel. There's no hope for them without Christ. So therefore, we've got to pray. Secondly, why do we need to pray? We need to pray because prayer helps us increase our compassion for the lost. Okay? We know there's a huge difference between Jesus and the Pharisees in terms of their just in everything that they did, right? Jesus was filled with compassion, with grace, with love. And then there's the Pharisees who are still the teachers of the law, but very legalistic, right? They're always judging, snickering at Jesus. Hey, you got this wrong. And all these different things, they lacked compassion. Well, in this passage, we read that Jesus had compassion for these lost people. This word in the Greek, compassion, um, it actually has a connotation of deep pity. Okay? So what it means is Jesus felt a deep compassion and almost pity for these people, for the lost. And so what's even more sad about this passage, if, if you read early in chapter 9 and verse 14, what we see is there's John's um, disciples. John the Baptist's disciples are there with Jesus. And you know what they do? They confront Jesus and they question him. They go, hey, how come you're not fasting? How come you and your disciples are not fasting? But look, us, John's uh, disciples and the Pharisees, we're all fasting. How come you're not? What's really sad is there's people in this world that lack compassion. And Christ, his heart is breaking for the lost, whereas the teachers and the leaders of Israel, they have failed in showing compassion to this lost people. We need to pray because when we pray for the lost, 
our hearts begin to be filled with more compassion. I don't know if this has happened to you. I'm sure it has. Whenever you pray for someone who is lost, or whenever you just pray for someone else, doesn't your heart just writhe with so much more love and compassion for them? To be honest, I I don't ever look forward to our Saturday prayer meetings. My flesh uh, defies me. It it fights against me. I I don't ever wake up like, yes, it's prayer meeting. I'm tempted to put my phone on snooze or it's like, ah, I just I feel more comfortable. My flesh says, no, stay in bed. But I know the spirit cries out, no, you've got to pray. And every time I come, I'm like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's going to be long or whatever. Um, but I kid you not, every time I finish the end of prayer meeting, I notice when I drive home, I'm like, I'm so glad I went today. I'm so glad I got to pray for not only the missionaries in this world that we're supporting. We got to pray for our church. I got to pray for specific members and, you know, me being the youth pastor here, you know, I, I don't really get to interact with everyone here. I, to be honest, I don't know exactly. I think I know like 80% of you guys. And, um, but when I read these lists, I'm like, oh, I, I don't really know who this person is. But, oh, oh, th- something's going on with their mom? Oh, th- okay, let's pray for them. And my heart begins to even care way more about this person, about you guys. And I believe that's what happens when we pray for the lost. Is we begin to imitate Christ and having compassion for the lost. You see, prayer moves the church towards God's heart. When we pray, it moves us in the direction of God's heart. And it influences us. Thirdly, why do we need to pray? We need to pray because there's a shortage of workers. Jesus plainly states that in verse 37. The harvest is plentiful. It's huge. It's ripe for harvesting. But there's a problem. The laborers are few. When Jesus said this, I want to really say this clearly. This is a complete understatement. When he says the laborers are few, really, by few, I think I can narrow it down to like two solid people. Or one solid and one semi-solid. One is Jesus. Jesus has been doing ministry up to this point. He's going around healing, teaching, preaching, everything, right? And John the Baptist. There's no one else at this time. The labors are really few. Really few. There's nobody. And Jesus is totally downplaying it. Like, yeah, there's, what he means is, haven't you guys been witnessing it? It's been me and John. Even John's disciples don't get it. And that's what's sad. The Pharisees, they didn't get it. They're in this harvest field. and They're not working. It's the same God. They're not working in the harvest field. So many people have failed. And so this is a complete understatement. And so there are pretty big reasons to pray, right? There's lost. There's, we, we definitely need more compassion for the lost. And there's a shortage of workers. And so then how are we to pray? And I think there's three things we can be guided through our prayer that Jesus breaks down for us at the end of our passage in verse 38. Okay? This is what the passage says. Jesus then says this. He says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' therefore is to pray earnestly. Um, by the way, I always say this to my youth students, but I just want to say this. Whenever you encounter the word therefore in the Bible, you should take a pause. You should be like, oh, something is very important. Um, and I'll give a quick example. Uh, this happens all the time with me and Minha. 
in a relationship. She's, um, I'll approach her, and I, I, I love, like, hugging her. And you know what she always does? She goes, get away from me. She goes, your breast stinks, right? Ugh, like, every time, like, she just assumes it. And the therefore is, go brush your teeth. Before you approach me, go brush your teeth, right? Because it's, it's nasty, right? And she always goes, like, can't you tell? Like, don't you feel it? I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> but that's what the therefore is. It's, it's a therefore of everything we just talked about in the past, it's going to lead into something, right? Your breast stinks, therefore, brush it. Jesus pointed out, we've got a problem. There's all these things, shortage of workers. Hey, there's a lot of lost people. And hey, we need compassion. Obviously, there's not a lot of people showing compassion other than me or maybe John the Baptist. We've got a problem here. Therefore, what is his solution? He says, pray earnestly. Uh, In the Greek, this is actually one word, pray earnestly. The word is deethete. It basically has a connotation of begging or to want, or to make a request, or to ask. The connotation is begging. That's what it means to pray earnestly. It's to, like, earnestly beg before God. God, send workers into this harvest field. Because there's such a shortage. And this is all that matters right now. There's nothing else. It's interesting because, you know, as a guy, I, I don't know, um, I'm, I'm a horrible listener with Minha, like she'll tell me her problems and then I'll immediately think of solutions, right? Well, why don't you do this? And as a guy, if I was hearing this from Jesus, if, if I was Jesus' disciple at this time, I honestly would not have thought as prayer as the therefore. I would have first thought, okay, there's a shortage of workers. What can I do to recruit people? Let's, let's go out. Jesus, you tell me what to tell people, I'll recruit them. I, I might suck at it, but I'll do it. Or, or hey, you, uh, you. sorry. <laughs> or, hey, uh, I'll, I'll try to maybe motivate the disciples. Hey, why don't we do this? Let's go out. Jesus, I'll do it. You tell me what to say. I'll be a worker. I, we've been following you up to this point. We, we've kind of seen what you've been doing. Let's do it. But Jesus' first action is therefore pray earnestly. I want to ask ourselves this question. Is your prayer life earnest before God? Or is it mundane, lifeless? I've seen us as a church pray earnestly before God. But I don't know if I've seen it all the time. I've seen it when we pray for Bo and Cindy and how victoriously we celebrated their arrival and how God delivered them and answered our prayers. I've seen us praying earnestly when we heard about Tuang and Irina's kid and Lisa and Derwin's. I've seen us pray earnestly when there's crisis moments. But are we earnestly praying before God always? Jesus tells us to pray earnestly before him. I think our prayer life lacks earnesty when we think life is good, when we think it's comfortable, that we become so blinded that we're in a spiritual war. And you see, we've got to realize this one fact. We're in a war. We're in crisis right now. I know for a fact, whenever we're in a crisis situation, someone's health is in crisis, we, our 
prayer life gets elevated. We sit at the feet of God and we, we know that this is our only thing we can do is to cry out to God. But why we're not like this is always because we, don't, we fail to realize that we're in a crisis mode every single day. That the enemy is real. That Satan is always around us, attacking us, deceiving us, trying to lead us astray. We're in a spiritual battle right now. I want to quote uh, John Piper from his book. There's a couple of uh, quotes I'd like to read for you. This is what Piper says. He says, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Continues on, he says, before we can even engage in the mission of the church, we have to fight against the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. We must fight to cherish the kingdom above all other things. That is our first and most constant battle. That is the fight of faith. And lastly, he says this, one of Satan's key strategies is to start battles in the world that draw our attention away from the real battle for the salvation of the lost and the perseverance of the saints. He knows that the real battle, as Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. So the more wars and conflicts and revolutions of flesh and blood he can start, the better as far as he is concerned. You see, that is Satan's goal is to make us shift our attention to lose sight of the real battle, which is against the spirit. There's a spiritual realm that we're living in that is, we're living in this huge war that I think sometimes we might fail to realize. You see, missions, when we think about it, that's God's work. It truly is the work of God. You know what our duty is? Our primary task then is to pray. Jesus is asking us to pray earnestly. And as we do that, we're fulfilling, being participants in God's mission's work. So pray earnestly is the first step. And the second is remembering to whom we're to earnestly pray to. Look at in this verse. It says, pray earnestly, therefore, or therefore pray earnestly to the who? The Lord of the harvest. You see, to whom we pray to actually helps us to be more earnest in our prayer because we're recognizing who God is, the Lord of the harvest. Only the Lord of the harvest is in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. You see, God and God alone produces the harvest. There's nothing we can do to add to it or decrease from it, God is the Lord of the harvest. So we must earnestly pray to him who is sovereign over our lives, over this earth. I want to read for you um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. This is what Paul writes. He writes this. I planted, Apollo's watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, God is sovereign. He's the Lord of the harvest. And he's the only one with real power. We lack power. But God can change lives. We're called to faithfully and earnestly pray to God who has all control. I'm going to read a couple more quotes, sorry. Piper says this. What prayer does is it puts God in the place of the all-sufficient benefactor 
And it puts us in the place of needy benefactors. So when the missions of the church moves forward by prayer, the supremacy of God is manifest and the needs of the Christian troops are met. See, what he's saying here is when we pray to the Lord of the harvest, when we're praying to God and to whom we're praying to is really recognized, what it's doing is it's placing us in our rightful place of, hey, I'm a nobody, but God, you are everything. You're the supreme rule of my life. You're sovereign over this world. You have the power, not I. So I beckon at your feet. I call upon your name because you're the one who changes lives. It's not me. We're recognizing we're yielding ourselves before God. And when we do that, not only does God bless us and help us to accomplish uh, the movement of missions, we also get our needs met too. We're going to be praying for more harvesters in the workplace. That's what God desires. And it's this whole like cycle of when we pray. And so when we think about this to the Lord of the harvest, I think what might be going through your minds and definitely went through my mind was the idea of election and predestination. So, okay, if God is truly the Lord of the harvest, he's really in control. We know, um, I'm assuming, uh, because we have more of a reformed theology that we think about election and predestination. Why do I have to even pray then if God has already elected his people? I think it's a very important thing because if we're not convinced of that, we're not going to pray, right? So I want to quickly talk about election and predestination. Why do we have to pray if we know that God has already elected his chosen people? Well, Piper says this, the doctrine of election actually makes missions hopeful and not unnecessary. I want to read a couple more quotes, sorry. John Alexander, um, John Piper quotes him. He's a missionary. He writes this. At the beginning of my missionary career, I said that if predestination were true, I could not be a missionary. However, now after 20 years of struggling with the hardness of the human heart, I say I can never be a missionary unless I believe in the doctrine of predestination. Piper goes on to say, God has willed that his miraculous work of harvesting be preceded by prayer. He loves to bless the world. But even more, he loves to bless the world and answer prayer. See, when we're thinking about all these things, prayer and predestination and election, it's it's hopeful. And that's what we pray. We cry out to God. And when we cry out to God, we find that not only does God want to bless our prayers, but he blesses us and answer to our prayers. So he wants to answer these things. And so that's why we must continue to beckon at his feet to cry out for the lost. Therefore, let's continue to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. We're the workers, but God is the one who causes salvation and is the giver of faith. He raises and sets the sun. He is the Lord of the universe, and the harvest is his. So we don't control who saves. He does. So we're called to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And so ultimately, why are we praying and how will that guide us in our prayers? There's a purpose and praying earnestly to the Lord of harvest. It's ultimately to send out laborers into his harvest fields. Jesus clearly pointed out there's a problem, right? 
there's a huge harvest field that's ripe. It's ready to be basically worked on. There's tons of crowds of people here that are lost. The problem is there's a complete shortage of workers, right? We talked about it. It's a complete understatement. And the solution is not just getting laborers, but to ask earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, who is in control of all things, to send out more workers. I want us to then think about this. What have we been praying for in our prayer life with God? What are the topics that are being raised up in your prayer life? Is it maybe not for this? Are we genuinely praying and crying out for sending out of harvesters into the harvest field? Are we sometimes praying prayers of our own comforts? Maybe youth students, it might be seniors. God, get me into this college. Maybe you parents are praying the same thing. God, send my kid to this college, please. We need your mercy. Uh, um, what, what, What are we praying for in our life? You see, prayer is not a tool for us to pray for our own comfort. It's not, uh, God is not a magical genie that we just rub, and that's our prayer. And, you know, God comes out and is like, what is your wish? God, I wish for, you know, I don't know, financial freedom. Your wish is granted. You know, prayer was not designed to be our personal tool for our own comfort. One aspect, we need to pray for harvesters. Um, I love that John Piper, he gives this illustration of what prayer is like. He compares prayer to a walkie-talkie, okay, to God. I want to read his quote, and then I want to show this illustration that I actually photoshopped, I had to create. It took me such a long time, but it's, it's very simple. It's not really anything fancy, fancy or anything. So um, Piper says this, Prayer is the walkie-talkie of the church on the battlefield of the world in the service of the word. It is not a domestic intercom to increase the temporal comforts of the saints. It actually malfunctions in the hands of soldiers who have gone AWOL, which basically means leaving, right, uh, without, you're not officially dismissed, but you just basically abandon your troops. It is for those on active duty, and in their hands, it proves the supremacy of God in the pursuit of the nation. When missions move forward by prayer, it magnifies the power of God. However, when it moves by human management, it magnifies God. You see, prayer is our communication tool to God. And God has blessed us with this walkie-talkie that we can push anytime and say, Hi, God. What's up, God? Hey, I want to pray for these things and these needs. And God hears us on the other end. He says, we begin to fail when it becomes all about us. And I love this imagery of a battlefield. And so I just wanted to just show you this beautiful Photoshopped <laughs> image that I had to do, okay? So we're like the soldier with the walkie-talkie, okay? In battlefield. Imagine your only weapon is this walkie-talkie, okay? Now, we have a target, right? We have the loss, and there's our enemy. So we're trying to win over the loss, but we're also fighting against, we know, Satan. So there's nothing that if I had a walkie-talkie in battle, there's nothing I could do to, like, do significant damage to someone. Like, what am I going to do, throw this at someone? Like, maybe knock them out, one person. But there's no significant damage I can do. I don't have the power to change someone. 
I don't have the power to convince someone to be saved. I might come up with, you know, uh, I might be able to share with them my powerful testimony. might be able to share with them, obviously, the, the, the power of the gospel. might be able to come up with, like, great scientific facts of why maybe um, evolution is wrong or whatever, why I think there was a creator. But there's still nothing I can do, honestly, to change someone. I, I don't have that power. Neither do you. You know who has the power? God does. And so in battle, right, if you know, it's the, the soldiers on the front line, they go, oh, oh, shoot, there's, there's a lot of people coming. So what do they do? They use their radio, their walkie-talkie, and they go, hey, uh, such and such coordinates, you know, X, Y, Z. He drops some bombs on them and plants it there. And likewise, I think that's what our prayer life is like. So we go, hey, God, can you direct I, I want to direct these coordinates to my brother, my, 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 my dad, my, my, my co-worker who is lost. I, I, I'm praying that they would know you, God. Would you plant your explosive, heart-changing truth into their lives? Would you transform them with your word? God, I'm praying and I'm beckoning on you that you would bring that truth into their hearts. That's what this prayer and walkie-talkie is like when we come before God's feet. We're praying and we're asking God to change people's hearts and lives. And again, this is why prayer is so important. And so I want us to think about that. Are we praying boldly for God to send out workers into the harvest field? Now, this might be a bombshell moment, but if it is, I'm, I think that's a good thing. But I want us to think about this. Parents, have you prayed boldly that God would send your own children into the harvest field? We see the need. There's a lack of harvesters in this world. But have we ever prayed that bold prayer of God, would you use my kid to be your witness to the ends of the earth? to be an active participant in the harvest field? Or are we praying, God, could you just give them a good life? Protect them, God, and shower them with your love. And Would you give them great friends? Would you just help them to get into a good college and make money? I think sometimes, I, I, obviously I'm not a parent, and I, I don't know what it's like to have a kid. But I know, talking with some parents, that the temptation is sometimes... I'm going to hold off on this prayer. Uh, maybe when my kid is like 21, when they're in college. 25, maybe, once they've figured out a job. No, you know what, maybe when they're 30 or they have kids and they're married. I think sometimes we don't, I, I wonder, I, maybe you are praying this, and if you are, awesome. But I wonder if we are boldly proclaiming and having faith that God can use our children to be part of his harvest field. The point is this. When I look at this passage, this is not an optional thing. This is not something we get to pick and choose and go, I will choose to pray about uh, the harvest field and sending workers into the harvest field. I'll pray for that a little later. No, Jesus is asking us to pray earnestly, begging at his feet to pray right now. Uh, and I want us to even think about where else can we pray boldly for more workers? 
right? Um, so look around in our church. Just look around you. We have youth kids here. We have adults. Maybe, you know, I know this is something that me and Pastor Paul are talking about. Is we need to pray for another generation. People like me and my wife and some of these college kids, young adults. How can we be praying for more harvest, uh, for workers to be sent there? How can we to be discipling more young adults? How can we as a church be raising up even our kids as they transition to adulthood? How can we help them to grow into mature disciples of Christ? Let's pray boldly, guys, about God sending out people into the harvest field. And this goes for you two youth students. You're not out of this picture. You don't get to not participate in missions work. This is not optional. We've got to pray. So pray for your schools. God, send more workers into the harvest field. Now, I know if we just stopped here, I think many of us would be like, oh, hey, I mean, you're telling me I just got to pray? Amen. I, I got that. I could do that. Unfortunately, it doesn't just stop there. There should be a result. There's something a little more that we actually should be doing. And actually, our prayer life should come to fruition to these things. So what are the results? It's that prayer should lead us to actually be part of the solution to our prayer. Right after this passage, okay, on uh, chapter 10, so we're at the end of the chapter, right? You know what Jesus does? He commissions his disciples to go out to the harvest field. He appoints them, says, he literally gives them full-on di- uh, directions of what to do. People reject you, this is where you're going to say whatever. But the point is this. Jesus sends out the disciples to be the very workers that he commanded them to pray for. So, it doesn't just stop there of just praying, but we've got to be part of the solution as well. We've got to be willing in our prayers of saying, God, I'm crying out for these lost people. I'm crying out for more people to be ministers of the gospel. But Lord, I also pray and I cry out, would you involve me in your work as well? May I be involved somehow? Not in just my prayer life. But Father, use my voice. Use my gifts. Use my talents. Use whatever I can. My resources. My money. So I can be involved in your kingdom work. See what happens is prayer prepares us for missions. By aligning ourselves with God. And so as we earnestly pray for the lost. As we are praying for more workers in the harvest field. As we're even beginning to witness how powerful prayer is and we begin to even see the depth of how many lost people there are and how truly there's few workers out there. And we begin to see that we're in a complete spiritual battle and we're in a crisis mode now. See, what that eventually leads to is that those prayers lead us to participate in God's harvest. It helps us to pray to be part of the solution. Um, you see prayer, uh, Piper um, in his book, he writes about how prayer is not the work of missions. He says prayer doesn't even replace the work of proclaiming the gospel and the preaching of God's word. You see, that's where the explosive changes, right? It's in God's word. 
that component is still very important, and we've got to participate in that as well. But then where does prayer lie in? He says this, however, the success of preaching of the gospel hangs on our prayers. Our prayers help the preaching of the gospel be more successful. So what is the conclusion? So therefore, therefore, missions without prayer is impossible. A couple of applications. Uh, just three simple ones. Obviously, it's to pray. But we're called to pray earnestly, boldly, for more workers, obviously, for people to be saved. And I want to just challenge us. Let's just do it. Um, I appreciate in our home group this past week, um, I think it was like Kate and uh, Jessica, they mentioned this. But we're talking about prayer. And we're talking about how can, you know, we as a church just be more active in prayer. And they both just shared, yeah, I just think we just got to do it. And I thought about it, I was like, wow, that's so true. We just got to do it. Even when we don't feel like it, like on those Saturday mornings, I'm like, ah, right? I, I, I don't want to wake up, God. We just got to do it. We just got to pray. Crown earnestly before God. And again, this goes for everyone, not just from the oldest adult, but youth students. This is not optional. This is a command from Jesus himself. Pray earnestly for workers. Secondly, let's remind ourselves that we're in war. When we forget that point, uh, we begin to relax. Right? We've got to remind ourselves that we're in a war. And lastly, I want to challenge you all to actively participate in our Saturday prayer meetings. We all know how passionate Pastor Paul is, right? We all see his emails and the last calls on Friday nights. I, I don't say this for Pastor Paul. I say this for our church. And I, I appreciate the fact that Pastor Paul believes in the power of prayer. I mean, he lives and breathes it. He, he believes in it. And I know if there's one way we can really encourage him, and again, I'm not asking us to do it on his, for his sake, but if you want to encourage him and go alongside of him, let him know you're, I'm on board with you, attend our Saturday prayer meetings. Um, I still remember uh, our first prayer meeting of the year, 2019. We had like 20-something people. We had some youth students. I've never seen Pastor Paul smile so greatly. I could tell there was a resounding joy in his heart, like, the Lord has heard my cry. Like, finally, people are here. But seriously, guys, what better way to participate as a church, as a corporate body, to not only pray for our church, but for missionaries out in this world that we support. Let's come out to our prayer meetings. Um, I need to do this real quick. But I want to just real quickly, maybe visually show what this looks like when we attend prayer meetings or we're actively participating in prayer. Um, one of my favorite movies is a movie called Troy. Anyone watch that movie? I don't know, maybe too violent for some of the kids. Um, but I love this scene. Okay, so in this movie, right, uh, there's an army invading Troy. And there's this group called the Myrmidons, okay? They're the elite royal troops that are about to wreak havoc. But in this scene, as they're invading the beaches of Troy, what's so funny is that this unit, right, there's a whole fleet of, uh, of ships, of tons of armies. I mean, Tro Troy is outnumbered. But this boat is ahead of the pack. They're so eager. They're like, yeah, like, let's fight. But there's like a whole army waiting for them on the beach. You see this right here? This is us, 
This picture right here, this is us as a church. We're this tiny little church. We're this tiny little unit. And we're being called to do something very impossible, something so big. Invade the beach of Troy. Attack this gigantic army. We're outnumbered. We're praying for the lost. Wait, a lot of people. We're praying for more harvesters. That's an impossible task. You know who that sexy guy is? That's Pastor Paul. That's right. Amen. Right? Pastor Paul is leading us. He goes, come on, let's pray. Come on, church. Can we pray, guys? And you know how all these people look at their eyes. They're looking at him like, amen. Right? If you watch this scene, all these soldiers, they're like beating their spears. They're like, <laughs> right? That's us as a church. We should be like, yes, I follow you, Pastor Paul. Amen. Not only do you say it, but God tells us to. Let's pray. But there's a problem, right? There's this whole army waiting for us. They're like, oh, she's so scary, Pastor Paul. I don't know. Like, oh, when I'm led to prayer, bad things happen too. Satan is even more alive in my life. And, uh, and, it's, and I love this scene because in the Bible, it tells us Satan is like trying to shoot us with fiery arrows, right? So what a better picture. Right? So it's an impossible task. We're just a tiny little unit. How are we going to attack this whole beach by ourselves? Hey, can we just wait for the backup to come? Right? But you see, when we begin to pray, what begins to happen is we begin to unite, and the impossible becomes possible. I love this scene. So these guys, they all jump out. I would love to say that nobody dies in this, but some people die in this scene uh, with some arrows in their, in their face and stuff. But... Uh, <laughs> What happens is they just unify, right? Like ding, 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 right? And they unify all their shields. And it's so cool because all these arrows, they, like, they're trying to penetrate. It's just bouncing off. It's deflecting, and they just slowly march forward. They're like, oh, we just got to get close, and it will do the damage. You see, alone, we're powerless, guys. We're so weak. But together, we can do great things. Not because of our own strength, because... It's God who is working through us as a church. So may that be our challenge to attend our Saturday prayer meeting. I think it would be so cool if we had a prayer meeting where we just filled this whole room. Like we could even make a circle. We just had to sit like this. You know what I mean? I think that would be so encouraging. And how powerful would that be? Again, like I said, we've experienced the power of prayer in crisis. We've cried out for bone, Cindy. God answered cried out for Tuang, Arena, cried out for all these different people, you know, uh, Lisa Derman. God answers. I can't even imagine what will happen when we meet in one central location just to pray. It, it, it's almost scary to think about what God would do. And to be honest, God will lead us to do some things we might be uncomfortable with. But it begins with prayer. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that, that you have shown us your grace and you have shown us your favor, that you're willing to send your son, Jesus, to die on this cross for us and give us new life, give us salvation, eternal life through your son. But Father, we especially thank you that as we're called as your believers, that you give us this amazing privilege participate in missions through prayer. Father, what an amazing privilege it is to partner with you, to cry out to you, to talk with you, to have this amazing communication tool you've given us through prayer. Father, I pray that you would break our hearts. 
The same way that Jesus' heart was broken when he saw the crowds of people. Would our hearts yearn for the lost? And, and would that compel us to deeply pray, knowing that there's nothing else we can do? The power is found in you, God, the Lord of the harvest. And so may we be compelled to pray boldly for the kingdom. May we begin to pray boldly for our children, for our families, for our schools, for our workplaces, for our nation, for this world. There will be revival happening. And so God, use us. Father, we want to be used by you. We want to move for your kingdom. We want to boldly participate in your mission's work, God. So use us in our prayers. And may we also be involved in, in the solution for that. Use us, God, as your hands and feet of being your witnesses to the ends of the earth, God. Father, would you bless us, convict us, and move us as your church. We thank you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.